0: This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPbiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park.
1: Nice. Today's episode is sponsored by Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? Nerd Wallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning extra. Expert tips for choosing a high yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's smart money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you.
2: Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on Thursday afternoon, February 1st. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. Chicago Theater Week gets underway next week. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, hiring slows as layoffs soar. And last month uh, could signal the potential challenges for the labor market. Joining us with the details ahead of tomorrow's big government jobs report is Gus Fauché, chief economist with PNC Financial Services in Pittsburgh. Gus, thank you for joining us today. Now, the applications for first-time unemployment benefits are ticking up, and it reached a three-month high today. But uh, just to put this in perspective, Gus, we're still at a historically low level when it comes to unemployment in this country.
3: That's correct. I think tomorrow when we get the jobs report, it'll show that the unemployment rate has been below four percent for two straight years. That hasn't happened since the late 1960s. And yes, initial claims for unemployment insurance have moved higher in recent weeks, but they're still very, very low on a historical basis. And there's no indication that the job market is any is in any serious trouble. And
2: there have been some uh, headline layoffs, especially in the technology and finance sectors. And it seems like the analysis. Uh, in that particular situation, is that we're talking about businesses that may have overhired during the COVID pandemic and are now reassessing their staffing levels.
3: Uh, that, that's correct. And, you know, that happens all the time in the economy. Uh, but what we continue to see is is that layoffs remain very low on a historical basis, uh, that people who are losing their jobs are finding new ones pretty easily. Uh, and so the labor market looks very solid in early 2024.
2: Productivity uh, advancing uh, 2.7% in the fourth quarter compared to a year earlier. And that is another positive sign, though, when it comes to economic growth.
3: Um, yes, it is. You know, that allows for uh, increases in standard of living. Uh, it allows for stronger growth with low inflation. Uh, so productivity growth over the long run is the biggest factor for economic growth. Uh, and the acceleration that we've seen in productivity growth since the pandemic is certainly good news for the for the U.S. economy. We'll have to see if it persists, but uh, it is looking, uh, you know, pretty solid right now.
2: We're going beyond the numbers with Gus Fauché, Chief Economist, PNC Financial Services in Pittsburgh. I want to touch on productivity just for uh, a second here, because you talked about how uh, this is good in the fight against inflation, and that a a a more productive workforce uh, will certainly help the Fed in its quest to uh, get inflation down their two percent target, if they aren't there already, or maybe have surpassed that.
3: That's correct. Uh, So uh, stronger productivity growth allows for stronger economic growth without higher prices. Uh, And so from the Fed's perspective, uh, uh, an increase in productivity growth will allow them to keep interest rates lower over the long run. uh, And that supports good economic growth, supports a strong labor market, supports low inflation, all of which the Fed is trying to achieve.
2: And speaking of uh, Fed tools, uh, one that I enjoy looking at from time to time is the uh, GDP Nowcast uh, that is uh, curated by the Atlanta Fed, and based on their estimate, uh, we are looking at 4% GDP growth in the uh, first quarter so far of 2024, so it seems like all these numbers about economic activity are adding up to a very rosy picture of the U.S. economy.
3: Uh, that's correct. We had very strong growth in the second half of 2023. I, you know, I would be surprised if we get 4% growth in the first quarter. Uh, but certainly the economy should continue to expand. We should continue to add jobs. Consumer spending should continue to increase. And I think that we'll see solid economic growth throughout 2024.
2: And lastly, uh, as, <laughs> as this good time segment continues, Gus, uh, construction spending also ticking up for the 12th month in a row.
3: That's right. We're seeing lower mortgage rates, so that's supporting the housing industry. Uh, We're getting a lot of construction connected with uh, infrastructure spending under the bipartisan infrastructure bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, the CHIPS Act. Uh, So construction, even though that tends to be interest rate sensitive and interest rates are high right now, uh, that's holding up pretty well and is supporting job growth.
2: Gus Fauché, Chief Economist, PNC Financial Services in Pittsburgh. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, a look at the celebration of theater-going insurance. Chicago that begins next week. Your best stock option. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Tickets for Chicago Theater Week, February 8th through the 18th, are on sale. Joining us now with the preview is Marissa Lynn Jones, Executive Director of the League of Chicago Theaters. Find it at chicagotheaterweek.com. Marissa, thank you for joining us today. And tell us a little bit about the origins of Chicago Theater Week. When did this begin?
4: Yes, hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, Chicago Theater Week. We're in our twelfth year, if you can believe that. So we we have had quite a run in pulling this together as a program of the league, and we have had more theaters participate each year. So it's really exciting to bring this to the Chicago community.
2: And Marissa, did the uh, did the Chicago Theater Week uh, get its inspiration from Chicago Restaurant Week, uh, finding it a, a period of time for <laughs> discounts to get people into theaters at a time that may be uh, uh, rather slow on the calendar.
4: Yes, yes, we might have had some inspiration from that. I think it's <laughs> it's really about, you know, making sure that our, our artists and our stages can continue to be supported, especially, as, as you mentioned, in this downtime.
2: And, and, and once again, I mean, you know, whether it's uh, getting people into restaurants to uh, try places they otherwise uh, may not have been before during the month of January, or uh, getting people to go see a show in Chicago, perhaps outside of the usual places, uh, you would say see a show. Uh, both entities are are, are, are are kind of it seems like the mission is a, a, um, an appreciation of what you have but also uncovering hidden gems.
4: Yes, that's right. So I I don't know if people are aware that we have over 200 theaters across Chicagoland area. So there's really opportunities across different neighborhoods and communities for you to support um, storefront spaces, um, downtown, in the suburbs. So we have members in, uh, you know, uh, Oak Brook. We have members out in Lincolnshire. I was just at a show there last night. So really an opportunity to explore uh, different parts of the city and and chicago
2: and how can you take advantage of this uh, you go to chicagotheaterweek.com and uh, the tickets are priced at uh, thirty dollars or fifteen dollars or or below that and uh, uh, uh what do you get with these value price tickets and and, and where can you go
4: Definitely, um, com. You you have those value prices, so you're able to bring more of your friends and family, and you can go um, downtown to Goodman Theatre, to the Lyric Opera. We even have uh, music and dance included, so there's a great opportunity to be uh, well rounded. There we have communities up north. We have uh, Theatre Wit. We have the Gift Theatre. We have um, Northwestern University involved. Court Theatre in Hyde Park uh, with Antigone. Um, so, so we have quite a bit here. And then now, if you're out in Glencoe, if you're out in uh, by Drury Lane Theater, at the Marriott Theater, out in the suburb, um, really there's no limit to where you can go and see a show during this time. And then that gives you a great introduction to um, not only the theater and that theater company and the work they do, but the great artists that we have in, the vibrant, in our vibrant communities.
2: We're talking to Marissa Lynn Jones, executive director of the League of Chicago Theaters, about Chicago Theater Week. How is the entire Chicago theater uh, space, how is it doing? How is it recovering from the depths of the COVID-19 pandemic? Because you go back a little under uh, four years ago, around this time, and uh, theaters had to shut down for a couple of months, and then some tried to... uh, to restart with uh, limited capacity and all sorts of uh, uh, mitigation measures in place. And there were shutdowns. And and it seems like the the, the future of Chicago theater and a lot of those smaller spaces uh, was in doubt. How are we doing today?
4: Today, we still need, we still, there's much needed support for our industry. Um, A lot of these, as you mentioned, were impact of uh, dwindling ticket sales. A lot of Um, trying to get people um, to come back into our spaces but on top of that the increase in cost of of labor and materials um, during that time we were one of the slowest industries to recover just because of the nature of our work and our productions and then we also had a decline in private donations so we want to make sure that um, we continue to support our theaters by our individual giving um, by our businesses that surround us Um, our artists and our theaters bring lots of economic stability to the Chicago area community. And so it's very important that, you know, you share the work, not only because of the different perspectives that it brings across um, different communities, but also it helps us thrive all around as a city.
2: Marissa Lynn Jones, Executive Director of the League of Chicago Theatres. Find her online at chicagotheaterweek.com. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Delays for the FAFSA forms, the free application for federal student aid, could cause stress for students and families. Joining us with some key advice is Deb Donley, Independent Educational Consultant. Find her online at debdonleycollegecounseling.com. Deb, thank you for joining us Today. we have uh, thoroughly documented. I think you and I have talked about the changes uh, to the FAFSA form. Really, your key to unlocking uh, nearly all aid for the uh, incoming college student uh, in your family. And how are these changes uh, manifesting themselves? It sounds like uh, the the forms will be will, will push your college search process back by about six weeks.
5: You're right. It, it's uh, the trickle down effect has been has been pretty horrific, honestly. Most colleges require students to tell them by May 1st whether or not they'll enroll by submitting an enrollment deposit, a down payment on their fall term fees. And what happens is with the rollout now, meaning that colleges won't get financial aid information from the government, from the Department of Ed until mid-March, they still need a couple of weeks to make sure that they're processing their computer data is correct because it's a new form. So that means that the earliest a student would be able to get a financial aid package would now be around April 1st, and that's at the earliest. And colleges will have thousands and tens of thousands of these forms to, to process for students. So um, really, at the um, at the um, With the leadership of John Bockenstead at Oregon State University, um, many colleges are now considering moving that May 1st reply date to June 1st, Um, and Oregon State has done that where John currently works in our area. Columbia College Chicago and the University of Illinois Chicago have already announced a June 1 deposit date now for students to make up their minds. The issue there is that some college counselors or counselors in schools are no longer Um, in session or maybe available to students by that time. Um, So there are trickle-down effects that that mean that students have Really less time to consider other offers and even ask for additional aid if they feel like it hasn't been accommodated correctly.
2: Now, it's been uh, over 25 years since uh, the, 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 my, my college admissions experience, but uh, <laughs> we're, are we at the point right now where families are getting those acceptance letters in the mail and you're, and you're, and you're really starting to decide uh, 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 which one is the best fit for you?
5: You're, now you're dating yourself here, Rob, because college acceptance has largely come online now. Oh, geez! Um, <laughs> <laughs> students log in to determine you know, what their status is. They often get a text or an email indicating, you know, here's your answer, or please log into your portal and find out what your decision is. Um, most students will have decisions through March. Um, at the latest and um and then have, you know, a limited amount of time if aid is involved to make up their mind.
2: I was gonna say, Deb, when does the telegram come? Uh <laughs> when does the guy in the western uniform western union uniform show up at your house? Uh dear sir or madam, you're not going to this school. Stop. <laughs> so, Deb Donnelly. I like the way you're Deb Donnelly, independent educational consultant. uh, Find her online at debdonnellycollegecounseling.com. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2020 Follow Nerd NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you.
6: TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports.
1: The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my word.
7: up to 4 lines via virtual prepaid card left 15 days qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required card has no cash access and expires in 6 months hey.
6: This is Chicago's news, traffic and weather
2: station. News Radio 105.9 the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Police officers and grief counselors are at Sen High School today following a shooting yesterday that killed one student and wounded two others. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin spoke this morning about the weekend drone attack in Jordan and his recent hospitalization. On this Technology Thursday, we'll learn about a computer interface implanted into a human brain. Plus, more streaming services are set to ban password sharing. Business, the markets are higher. The Dow is up 250 points. The Nasdaq is up 143. And the S&P 500 is up 41. We have 50 right now under mostly sunny skies at 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, students at Sen High School. On the north side, were are greeted by police patrols and grief counselors as they returned to classes today. In the aftermath of the shooting that killed one student and wounded, two others yesterday. Dahlia Vicens has lived across the street from Sen for almost 21 years and says she was shocked to hear about the shooting.
3: I saw the police officer on the other side, the straps and everything, and I just couldn't believe it, you know. I see all these kids walking by. Every single day, parents dropping the kids off to school. Never seen anything like this before. Never. Especially in this area a safe
2: area. Police Superintendent Larry Snelling It's believed says it's believed the students were targeted. The Cook County Medical Examiner's Office identifying the dead student as 16-year-old Davion Gibson. At last report, another 16-year-old boy is hospitalized in grave condition and a 15-year-old boy is listed in good condition. U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin delivered remarks to the Pentagon Press Corps during a briefing this morning. He addressed his recent prostate cancer diagnosis and hospitalization that was kept secret for days. I've
7: apologized directly to President Biden. And I've told him that I'm deeply sorry for not letting him know immediately that I received a heavy diagnosis and was getting treatment. And he has responded with a grace and warm heart that anyone who knows President Biden would expect. And I'm grateful for his full confidence in
1: me.
2: Austin also spoke about the drone strike in Jordan that killed three American service members and wounded others, vowing retaliation. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. The markets are higher. Let's get the latest now on uh, how uh, on what's moving Wall Street with Art Hogan, chief market strategist with B. Riley Financial in New York. Art, thank you for joining us today. And let's begin by trying to make uh, heads or tails out of uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell's uh, statement and news conference uh, yesterday following the Fed policy meeting. Uh, interest rates are staying where they are, but there was a sell-off art afterwards, where it sounds like the uh, people who were still betting on that March rate cut uh, finally uh, <laughs> felt the whole the, the cold hard slap of reality.
8: Yeah, I, I would say that's likely true. I think that uh, what Chair Powell really was trying to do was sound a little more down the middle of the fairway than perhaps he sounded. In the december meeting i think the takeaway from his december press conference seemed to be overtly dovish and and we really started racing into anticipation of you know five or six rate cuts in the in 2024 the first being in march and uh and and plenty after that and i think he was trying to walk us back into a a more medium range where you know the fed has penciled in about three rate cuts and they may not get to them until may or june and uh, i think the market's there now all that said if you look at the um, the Fed funds futures markets right now, there's still a 40% chance that they can cut in March. And I think the reason for that is there's a lot of data that happens between now and then. We've got about seven weeks of data. We'll certainly see two different CPIs and PPIs and jobs reports, another job report tomorrow, which will be important. So, if to, in fact, this is a data dependent Fed, and we continue to see the, the path of inflation working this way lower. Um, agnostic to the economic growth that we're clearly experiencing. I think the Fed may well have a better, you know, more of a coin toss in, in March than uh, Jay Powell made it sound like yesterday.
2: Is it possible, though, that uh, Powell is going to back himself into a political corner because he has said he's been very consistent that all decisions on interest rates up or down uh, will be determined by the data and, uh, and and whether they've really, you know, vanquished inflation once and for all. But if they start to cut later this year, someone, or many people will say, that uh, this was being done to the behest of the White House, to uh, goose the economy, going into an election year, and does that weigh on his mind?
8: Well, I will tell you this, while that has never been said out loud by any chairman of the Fed, um, until you go back to the 70s, we had Arthur Burns, who clearly uh, bent to the knee of uh, Richard Nixon, but I, I would say in, in modern times, uh, Fed chairs and, and FOMCs, have tried to avoid the, uh, the look of being driven by politics. So what that means is during this calendar year, during a presidential election year, anything the Fed is going to do, they likely get done by Labor Day and then resume normal business activities after the election. So leaving the December meeting open. So I think you're right. I certainly think the Fed starts cutting rates long before Labor Day. They likely start in, in May or June, and they likely give us at least three and maybe four for the total year. Rob, but I think it's more important, though, is why are they doing this? And I think they're doing this because at that juncture they will feel like they're too restrictive versus feeling like they need to jumpstart the economy or stimulate the economy. I think if uh, the wheels start coming off the economy and they have to stimulate, that's the wrong kind of cut. I think the right kind of cuts will be a Fed realizing they're getting pretty darn close to their target.
2: Now, uh, the, 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 a pretty nice uh, little rally going on uh, today. It seems like uh, they've made up their losses from yesterday. Uh, is this simply a case of uh, traders uh, digesting and they've had a day to kind of sleep on what the Fed had to say? Uh, is this simply the uh, law of gravity in a uh, bull market? Or is this uh, in response to the uh, 10-year yield taking a little bit of a tumble?
8: All of the above. I would certainly say, first and foremost, we always have the wrong move after the Fed meeting and the press conference, and, and uh, in the short period of time that you get between the press conference and the closing bell, we typically overreact the wrong way. We typically retrace it. some or all of that move the next day. So this is a very typical post-Fed. Reaction, kind of two day period, and we're back almost to even um, after after yesterday. I think that also, uh, you know, contemplating what drives stocks and lower interest rates certainly would be doing that. We had gotten up to uh, north of 4.1 percent yield on the ten year, and we're below 4 percent now. So that that's a headwind that's turned into a tailwind, especially for small caps, which have uh, enjoyed a nice couple of day rally here in the Russell 2000. I like to see that continue and have this market broaden out.
2: Art Hogan, Chief Market Strategist, B. Riley Financial in New York, thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Technology Thursday, a look at a device intended to enable direct communication between the human brain and technology.
7: Cash, credit, debit, and totally free. The
2: WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Technology Thursday on the Noon Business Hour. Elon Musk's Neuralink has achieved a key milestone, implanting a brain-computer interface in a human. Joining us with the latest details is Matt Wren, founder and chief technology officer of VRAR in Chicago. Matt, thank you for joining us today. Neuralink got the green light uh, from the federal government, from the Food and Drug Administration, uh, to uh, uh, conduct human clinical trials Uh, Last year, in May of 2023, and uh, a a Neuralink uh, implant uh, has been put inside a human subject. And what is the promise of Neuralink? What can it do and how can it be revolutionary if everything works as intended?
0: thanks for having me back rob um i mean the ultimate goal of this is to be able to read signal well there's a lot of ultimate goals but for the immediate step is to be able to read signals from the brain Uh, so the first thing that they're trying to do is they're they're implanting the Neuralink into i believe a paraplegic person's brain or quadriplegic one of the two they they haven't identified who the actual subject is but when they announced the call for human trials they were looking for paraplegic and quadriplegic folks um, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to read the signals in the brain, uh, the human brain, using the Neuralink in the hopes that they will be able to identify what those signals mean and at least initially move like a computer cursor on a, on a screen or a keyboard and then eventually possibly move machinery. So something like a human-assisted limb. Uh, so that's, that's the initial step.
2: And the, the Neuralink is a one chip and then a thousand super thin flexible conductors that is threaded into the subject's cerebral cortex by a surgical robot. I mean, the, the process of implanting uh, the Neuralink itself sounds like science fiction, but uh, this it, it, we've talked about this before. This is kind of uh, uh, the next step in some existing technology where we do have uh, implants and other things, uh, cochlear implants, for example, uh, that do interact with the brain and allow people to in the case of the cochlear implant uh, hear it once again.
0: Correct and that's that is I mean to be clear, that is several steps from now because when you start talking about you know they' they've spoken of the promise of letting blind people see again, letting you know handicapped people move again, letting, uh, people who are deaf here again. And when you start talking about that, you're talking not just about reading the signals in the brain to understand what they mean. At that point, you're actually talking about doing stimulation where the neural link would be, you know, stimulating the brain itself to produce a signal. That is way, way, way future as far as, uh, according to all the studies that I've read, that, that's far off. For right now, it's still very early. This is the first time they've put it in a human subject and they're still just reading the signals. But yes, ultimately that is, you know, that, is, that would be the goal I mean, uh, Elon Musk had mentioned at one point actually being able to interface a human brain with AI. Again, I think that is way, way future. But for now, they're just, they're reading the signals. And then, yeah, once they get through and good enough at that, I guess the next step would be to be able to actually use it to stimulate the brain to essentially return vision or return hearing.
2: And it sounds like right now the challenge for Neuralink is just to make sure it stays inside the subject and interacts with the subject in a way as to not uh, cause even more problems.
0: Yeah, that's that's the biggest concern with the human subject right now is obviously the safety of the human to make sure that they can do this and it's not going to cause long-term damage. You know, it's not going to cause damage to the brain. It's not going to harm the person. It's not going to kill the person. These are things, you know, they've done a lot of studies with animals, and I think they came out of the study saying, you know, while the animals ultimately had to be euthanized at the end of the study, it wasn't the Neuralink that killed them. So, um, you know, the goal with putting it in a human is to, yes, measure the safety, make sure this is safe, not just for immediate use, but ultimately for long term. Once it's in there, as far as as I can tell, it's staying in there. It's not coming back out. Uh, So that is one of the biggest pieces
1: of the first study.
2: And then, and then, Matt, the other thing, too, and I think, you know, uh, Elon Musk certainly has a brand and he certainly uh, 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 generates opinions in other people uh, based on, on his other activities outside of Tesla, Neuralink, and SpaceX. Um, and, and so do you how much parsing, how much how big of that grain of salt uh, do you have to take uh, uh, in, in evaluating Elon Musk's um, uh, assessments of how these trials are going?
0: I mean, the difference between a scientific study and commercial is commercial is going to feed out little bits of information here and there, whereas a scientific study is ultimately going to publish a big paper with all of the results. So we're getting, you know, little bits and pieces of information on X, formerly Twitter. It's not the full picture, but, you know, what he's released so far is it was implanted. They're reading the signals. So they know that at least, you know, to a certain degree, it's working. It would be helpful ultimately to get a full study on this, but that's, you know, it's the difference of doing a commercial release versus a scientific study. And obviously, you know, technology people have a reputation of move fast and break things, which... In the case of implanting something in a human, you really can't afford to do that.
2: Yeah, you can't so do that. I think are moving slow. You can't, you can't do that with human brains. Uh, Matt Wren, yeah. founder and chief technology officer of VRAR in Chicago, thank you for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Entrepreneur Friday. And still to come, mo- more streaming services clamping down on password sharing. Cashing in with conversation, the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Following in the footsteps of Netflix, Disney is set to ban passwords. Password sharing across its Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus platforms starting on March 14th. We welcome in Tim Hanlon, founder and CEO of the Vertair Group in Chicago. Tim, thank you for joining us today. And uh, obviously, this was a successful initiative for uh, Netflix when they cracked down on password sharing. They clearly saw an uptick in revenue and subscribers in the aftermath of that. Uh, How is this going to work for Disney?
6: I don't think it's going to work uh, any uh, different, Rob. I mean, look, this is a uh, yet another uh, streaming service that is uh, being forced and probably more aggressively now given Disney's uh, challenges from outsiders and uh, activist investors to uh, generate more uh, profits for the company to make streaming profitable, right? So, you know, we spent the last 10 years or so uh, feasting, I think, on uh, a bevy of services with just a mountain uh, of content and um, the, uh, the 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 high order problem of being able to figure out what to watch from all of that content uh, offering. And now uh, we've got services that are being um, much more focused because of Wall Street, because of, uh, of many issues on profitability, standalone profitability for these services. All you can eat with no commercials is now yielding to advertising support and, frankly, uh, cracking down on how many people share a subscription. Now, it it frankly shouldn't shock people that uh, any kind of subscription offering, whether it's media or otherwise, uh, doesn't want people who haven't subscribed to use the service. Um, This is an easy way, a relatively easy way to, uh, shall we say, refine uh, the number of pure subscribers and encourage Bump uh, those who are freeloading into paying for uh, their their wares, and um, it's a classic business move. Uh, frankly, it's overdue, um, but it's clearly a sign of the times. Profitability is now the watchword at streaming services versus anything else.
2: And then, very quickly, Tim uh, has has this been addressed anywhere? And that is what's going to happen to the people who uh, got that Disney Plus. ESPN plus and Hulu bundle, bundle. as part of a, uh, a, a cell phone uh, incentive, because I know uh, that was, that was a big Verizon thing for a very long time. So what, what happens to the people who got this as a freebie for, for signing up for some other thing?
6: Yeah, I think bundling has definitely become kind of a, a very uh, helpful release valve uh, for profitability. But uh, I look, when you have a group plan, say for your, uh, uh, your mobile service, And that's the way by which you're getting Disney Plus. I'm not sure Disney Plus has figured out the fact that, hey, that's part of a a collective of, of subscribers. They need to come along for the ride. I think that'll get figured out because those bundles are very valuable.
2: Tim Hanlon, founder and CEO of the Viterra Group in Chicago, thank you for joining us today. If you missed any part of the Noon Business Hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBVMNewsRadio.com
1: and the Odyssey app. Nice. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield-saving account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024 follow nerd smart money podcast on your favorite podcast app future you will thank you
6: tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone news in order to secure convictions in a court of law it is essential that we conclusively sports
7: that clock at four donchich